Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hello Latino, where we talk about all things first gen, where we celebrate Latinidad, and where we highlight community excellence. Today, I'm talking to Luis, a revenue enablement strategist and sales coach. Now, let me tell you about Luis because he is just a big deal, y'all. For years, he's worked for some of the biggest Silicon Valley startups like LinkedIn, Google, Uber, Tesla, and more. He started to teach business owners how to scale their revenues and impact. And at the same time, he was speaking to students from Stanford to Berkeley on leadership and personal branding. Now, Luis is a published author, a LinkedIn learning course instructor, and the global director of revenue enablement at Deputy. In this episode, we talk about being the only in some of those spaces, about Puerto Rico, about owning your story and owning your power. Can't wait for y'all to tune in. Let's get into it. All the cheese, man. <laughs> <laughs> Luis, I'm so excited to have you. I'm still smiling from you coming on and saying I feel cute because that's the vibe that we should always feel every single day, especially on a Friday, porque es viernes y el cuerpo sabe, right? But <laughs> how are you? Thank you so much for having me, my friend. Yo estoy tranquilo. It's like I told you earlier, I'm feeling good. You can't, like, you cannot sway me today. I'm very excited more than anything to connect with you. I've been looking forward to this conversation and I just thank you so much for having me today. Yes, I'm grateful. Let's get started with the first question, my favorite. Right. How do you identify and why? Oh, okay. I'm going to try to keep, keep this short. Couple of layers. You don't got to. Nada. I have time. I have time. You don't got to. <laughs> Um, primero que nada, yo soy Boricua. I was born in Puerto Rico. I was raised in the Bronx in New York City, not too far from Yankee Stadium. My mom works at Yankee Stadium. I am in that sort of intersection. I also identify as New Yorican, right? I identify with that experience on the island. I identify with that experience in the city. Let's layer that also with the fact that I am an out gay man. And so I also identify with that community. And I bring that entire intersection of everything that I am, layer that with being a son, a brother, cousin, mentor, business owner, global executive, you name it, right? Like I am just living my ancestors' wildest dreams every single day and so, so thankful for that. Oh, preach. I want to spend a little time here on identity because- yeah. I love that you said I layered that with this and I layered that with that because that's really what we are is all these layers of identity, yeah. of lived experience, of how we navigate the world, how we see the world, where we came from. Like we are so many layers. Yeah. Tell me about those pivotal layers that you had to put on, right? Being a New Yorkian and being yeah. in the States and also being from the island. 
Yeah. Being an out gay man in Latino culture, yeah. like tell me about those pivotal layers that you've had to put on and the experience of adding those layers. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I think going back, I think of Spanish was my first language. And so I had a really heavy accent when I started elementary school. And I remember you know, like all the bullying and everyone picking on me. And I even remember like getting punched in the face because of it, right? And developing this anxiety about learning English and not just like learning English, but speaking it como un gringo, like but really like mastering it and excelling at it and like feverishly developing my aptitude for the language. So as a kid, I was like scoring super high on state exams for language and communications and things like that because of that internalized sort of anxiety. And as I got older, it was, I think for me, I grew up in an environment where being Boricua was part of the mainstream, part of the majority, right? And then I went away to college, stark contrast. I went to a historically women's college, majority white. And that's when I felt for the first time, like I was a real fish out of water, right? I was really just one of a handful of people that had the, the similar lived experiences as me or had context for the way that I grew up or had context for what it meant to be Boricua, what it meant to be gay or anything like that. Like that was very, we talk about those pivotal moments. That was a huge pivotal moment in my life and coming to terms with all these intersections and negotiating my identity in spaces that I'd never been in before while adjusting to those spaces. And then layer that with going through like re-socialization. As I'm going to college and taking these courses, I'm learning my own history. And I'm learning the language for the structural oppression that we've all been experiencing, but I could never articulate. And I'm understanding the root of these things in a very different way. And so that completely shifted my self-concept as well. And then couple that with being an out gay man in a very machista sort of culture, right? It's like you are, you're supposed to be a man, behave a certain way, exhibit masculinity a certain way, be a provider at a certain level, et cetera. And I was someone that enjoyed embracing my feminine energy. And I'm someone that had to also, in the context of growing up in the Bronx and growing up in public housing, I had to code switch constantly. And that's something that I'm very cognizant of my ability to either turn it up and present straight when I need to, when my safety is concerned, when I'm riding the subway late at night, et cetera, right? Because I grew up in New York City in the 80s and the 90s. Right. Mm. And then also in my safer spaces, um, expressing my whole self, my whole self, right? Like when I'm with my boys, when I'm at the bar, et cetera. And so when you talk about like pivotal moments, I think there's like the college experience, the post-college experience of like entering the workforce also, right? Like mm. I have to now navigate, I have this degree. I'm the first in my family to pursue education. You know, I'm out here trying to make it count, right? And entering the corporate world and realizing I wasn't welcome there and having to navigate that as well and coming up against that sort of intersectional experience and dealing with managers who didn't have the cultural intelligence to just have a conversation with me. Oh, tell me about those conversations. Like, what, give us an example of a moment where you were like, yo. Like there needs to be, there needs to be some changes here. 
Yeah, gosh. I had an experience early in my sales career, and it definitely influences my philosophy as a sales leader and the way that I manage teams and develop programs and things. I had an experience. I was working in sales, calling on a customer, and I don't know what it is that I said or whatever that the customer caught on to the fact that I'm gay and immediately interrupted me was like very aggressive with me on the phone, dropped the F-bomb in reference to me and demanded to speak to a supervisor and demanded that they get someone else to help with their account. Mm. That was the first time that I ever had that kind of experience in a corporate setting. And it didn't stop there because then I bring that feedback in-house and I'm being told that I'm the problem, that I'm messy. Right. And recognizing and coming to terms with the fact that I am not safe in this environment and that my seat at the table wasn't, I wasn't ever really welcomed at the table. Right. And so I had to, in that moment and going through that experience, I had to like really come to terms with, okay, I got to up level my game if I want to stay in corporate and win. Right. Like now the boogie person has shown their face and now I've got to develop a new skill set to survive in this environment. Mm. I can't imagine feeling like you don't quite fit in any space. And I'm bringing it back to what you were sharing earlier, going from the island to like then going through bullying and going into like this new environment where you're like, okay, I got to learn English and mm-hmm. I got to be perfect at it, right? Like, it's not just yeah. I got to learn it. It's I got to master it so that nobody ever questions if I could speak English again. Yeah. And then on on that note, going to college and trying to, like, figure out identity there. And then now going into the corporate world and then feeling like people can't question me ever again. But it's, yeah. like, so much of your identity is in all of those places being Puerto Rican, being yeah. a first-gen college student and then going to corporate America and being in sales, like all of yeah. those pieces of your identity are now being called to question. And it's just the gaslighting for me, right? Like now you're the problem because you yeah. are gay. You're a man. You're from the island. English is not your first language. How yeah. did you start to rebuild that and own all those pieces of your identity and not let somebody's opinion kind of like influence the way you saw yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. It took time, right? I had to play the game until I could make the game work for me. So I worked in sales, meaning that everything that I did was tracked and measured. I had very specific goals, number of calls I had to make, number of dollars I had to close, et cetera. And so I had to get on top of my game, excel at the numbers, right? That was step one. It's like, you're not going to question my capacity or my capability. The job is done. The job description requirements met and then some. Then I got to take this next step. I had to develop relationships. I had to have people advocating for me, raising their hand in meetings and saying, hey, Luis did this. Did y'all catch that? Mira, lo que hizo por acá. Like, did you, right? Like I had to like develop those relationships and get those voices to amplify my contributions in very public settings so that all of leadership could see and hear what it is that I was contributing. So it was a layered approach and a methodical approach. And then it got to a point where 
There was no question of my capability. The numbers were there. There was no question of my reputation. Everyone was applauding what I was doing. The final thing for me was that mindset shift, especially being first generation, being gay, being othered, the trauma, the mind, the self-concept of not being good enough, imposter syndrome, I don't belong here, etc. I had to then go through my own work and that I did on my own with my therapist and with my ancestors and everything and just coming to terms with like, I got this. I'm skilled and I'm capable. And I also started looking left and right and looking at the so-called leaders around me and recognizing like, coño, I have had to be exceptional just to get this seat at the table. And it's the wobbly chair at the table, right? And it's all the way in the corner with the terrible lighting. And they didn't even bother cleaning off the table before I got there, right? But I had to work triple time to get that seat. And then looking left and right and feeling like, y'all are not even on my level, that was the 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 shift in my self-concept and recognizing that like y'all are not on my level, but I got to play this game. So here are my numbers, deliver the smiles, mm-hmm. and also thinking about the things that I contribute, not only within the company, but outside the company, right? I started writing, speaking, and doing things that cemented my expertise and what I do outside of the walls of my job. So this is what I mean about having to go down this path of being exceptional. I have to do all these extra things just to get the wobbly chair at the table. Oof. Well, that wobbly chair can have power, but it's the wobbly chair, yeah. right? And I yeah. love, I want to just bold, like you looked around and you're like, yo, y'all are not at my level <laughs> Because it's real. No, and it's real. And I love that you have that mentality because I want everyone that's on this, like listening to this to be encouraged to feel that way. Because sometimes you hear too often how grateful we are to be at the wobbly chair. But like very rarely do we hear someone talk about, nah, like I'm here. (laughs) And so I love, Luis, that you're mentioning that because that's power to be able to like own your shit and be able to celebrate it at the same yeah. time. So get up because we need more of that. Yeah, no, it took time to develop that confidence and to come to that realization. I'm not going to suggest that that's easy work. And again, there were some things I had to do before I got to that place. Again, getting the right. performance in place and everything on lock. But like, at some point you reach a level where it's like, you are the person that you dreamt of being. Now what? Right, you got to ask yourself, if I were already the best at what I did, how would I show up? Would I be this meager-minded? Would I question my decisions? Would I be surrounded with these kinds of people? Would I say yes to these kinds of projects and requests, right? You have to have that moment of reckoning of like, coño, I've earned it, I've done it, I've proven myself. They're not going to validate it for me, but I got to stack up everything I've done versus them and recognize like they are not on my level. And I just want to validate that for anyone that's listening who's like really working so hard on themselves. I want you to know that it's not you, it's them. It really is. And it takes a while to recognize that. Period. And just to go deeper into your career, you've worked with some of the big companies in Silicon Valley, right? You've worked for, just to name drop a few, Google and LinkedIn and Uber and Tesla. Like, How did you, one, break into those spaces, but how did you navigate it feeling like you were kind of the only, because I know that's part of your story, right? Feeling like you were kind of the only in those spaces. Like how did you break in and how did you navigate? Yeah. I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a flex, but is intended to inspire. 
I didn't apply for any of these jobs. They knocked on my door and recruited me and rolled out the red carpet and met my requirements on salary, et cetera. Right. And that was, again, doing the work of investing in myself, putting all of it out there on LinkedIn, sharing everything I was learning as I went along. Right. And being seen as that not only expert, but like good coach and teacher and mentor along the way. So I had this engine working for me in the background to attract these opportunities. And so I just want to put that out there for anyone that's just like feeling trapped. There is a way to be that opportunity magnet on your terms, right? I want to inspire that for anyone that doubts that it's possible. And then as far as stepping into these spaces, gosh, what was that movie? Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio. I want to say it was like based on a true story. He pretended to be the doctor, right? He pretended to be the pilot. He faked it till he made it. I feel like that's exactly what I've been doing. Right. As I go along, I ask the questions. I admit what I don't know. I read the books. I listen to the podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Like I do the work. And along the way, I've acquired that confidence and that knowledge to continue ascending. Always with that awareness that like y'all are not on my level. Right. And then stepping into these spaces. I mean, part of the reason I moved to California and stepped into Silicon Valley and, and ended up working in these companies was that promise around diversity, equity, and inclusion. When I stepped onto the scene, that was right at the peak where all these companies started publicly sharing their numbers around the demographics of their employees and coming to terms with the fact that their recruitment efforts fell short of what they thought their company looked like, right? And so that was almost like the, the beacon that attracted me to the industry. It's like, bueno, okay, it's not working out in New York. I'm being disrespected in the ad age and in the ad world here. Maybe if I step into tech with this promise of like, be yourself, bring your whole self to the workplace. We want you to be yourself. We want you to bring feedback about our product and our customer experience. And we want everyone globally to have the experience they deserve, right? There are all these mm. principles of being in tech and working in tech that attracted me. Was it perfect? Absolutely not, right? Like I had experiences where I was all the way disrespected on the sales floor, all the way disrespected by people who questioned my capacity and my uh, capability. But again, it was about leaning into those numbers, building that network internally to amplify me, to keep me top of mind, to pull me into projects that also gave me visibility, right? And then the thing that I had never experienced in my career that was very, up until that point, unique to me and to the tech, as far as like being unique uh, to the tech space, the employee resource groups that were cropping up across different companies. These are executive sponsored groups. They get resourcing and funding to invest in these employees based on interest and lived experience, whether it's the veterans group, the queer group, the black group, the women's group, right? You have executive sponsorship, you have networking opportunities, you've got guest speakers, leadership development programming, and all these things that are being invested in these groups. And that was also a signal for me of like, wow, that I never had I ever had experienced this in New York or any other company, right, outside of tech. And that was also something that drew me, right? That idea of like, I can be myself, it's expected. There's investment in these organizations that will keep me safe, right? And then the rest of it was truly grappling with that imposter syndrome and like faking it till I made it, yeah. What was the shift like for you 
from going, I mean, was there a point before tech where you were hiding parts of yourself and like, was there a shift that happened when you were starting to like, you know what, I'm going to just step into all the sazón that Luis is. Like, was there a shift there? What happened there? Gosh, yeah. Ese sazón lo escondía, like for (laughs) sure. And they got to a point where like, I just... I just got tired of looking left and right and just seeing people heal about the most inappropriate things in the workplace and getting away with it. And just like, why am I being quiet? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these people, again, are not on my level, right? Um, but yeah. I think for me, it was also the realization I've had experiences where managers didn't have the cultural intelligence, didn't know how to deal with people that were vastly different than them and their reaction to things is to put people on performance improvement plans and other ways to kind of phase them out of the business right i've been put on performance improvement plans because i came in 99 percent of goal instead of 100 right even though other people came in lower than i did right i had a bad quarter things happen and then all of a sudden i'm on a performance improvement plan right It's their option to exercise that the minute you underperform and the minute that anything went down. Yeah, people came for me. Right. And I came to the realization that there's no loyalty to anyone within these corporations. They will pull the rug from under your feet when they are ready and when they want to. And no matter what I did, I, I was the good boy. I was the good diversity hire. I was the good gay boy. Whatever it is that you wanted me to be, I used to be meager-minded showing up at these jobs, right? Like, I am so grateful for the seat at the table. But y'all are going to take it away from me. I have to be exceptional to get the seat, and y'all are going to take it away from me anyway. So I'm just going to do me. And I I stopped hiding parts of myself or filtering parts of myself. And now I show up, and I'm like, you either pick up what I put down or not. And on top of that, you're going to pay me competitively, period, because I know exactly what people are making left and right. Yeah. It is wild how hard you have to work to get the wobbly chair and any minor inconvenience to them is like, well, we're going to take the screws off and just going to take the chair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. I've been up against that. It is wild. And, and in those moments, it hits your self-esteem and it definitely yeah. makes you double, like question your self-concept and whether you're good enough or smart enough. But gosh, again, when I look at my LinkedIn profile compared to some other people that I've worked with, I'm like, you don't stack. You just don't. Again, I, and it's not about me being full of myself, narcissistic or whatever. It's about like me taking care of myself. It's about me overcoming that lack of esteem and really like putting into focus that I'm qualified, coño. More than qualified. And and I want to ask you, because I I always love connecting these. I think that so much of who we are and like our powers in the workplace stem back to like where we come from, who we are. And I mean, I recently, I'll tell you a story. I recently had an event where they asked me like, what's our biggest superpower? What's our biggest opportunity? And I was like, this is interesting because I could say a million things, but... one I think our biggest superpower is just like innately who we are our resilience our resourcefulness our creativity and our adaptability which can Mm -hmm. lead to the opportunity right but it's like we are able to morph into whatever space that we're in because culturally although we're different we're loud we're full of life we're energy to get ahead in Estados Unidos you got to keep your head down 
work, grinds, and that's how you get ahead. People will pay attention, right? That's kind of the belief system for a lot of folks in the culture. And then you get to the space and you're like, hold up. How come this person gets to be so loud and then they hear a little bit of my accent or a little bit about who I am through my voice and then I automatically am shut down or I have to code switch to fit in or I have to just be quiet and look down. Like so much of our adaptability can sometimes work against us. And the ones who get ahead are the ones who make noise and say, hey, I'm right here. Give me the promotion. (laughs) Uh, This is what I've done. And I mean, like for you, I would ask you the same question. What do you think is our biggest superpower in the community? But what do you think is our biggest opportunity with that? Gosh, you hit on a lot of things, like the resilience. I'm just thinking about like the things that I've been through, things that my family has been through, and like even lessons that have been imparted on me about like, I'm thinking about my abuelita, anda derechito, like make sure you are in your lane, like always, like don't interrupt other people, you stay focused, right? Or even thinking about my mom's advice, lo que no se exhibe, no se vende. If you don't show it off, ain't nobody going to pick up what you put down, right? So displaying and amplifying what you do and speaking up for yourself, right? Like those are like pearls of wisdom that I still carry with me till this day. Lo que para mí stands out and I'm thinking really uniquely about what it means to be Boricua and how it is the lessons that I was taught is like, si tu vecino tiene hambre and you got extra rice, you go check in on them. Mm. And I think that's been probably the superpower throughout my career. I mentioned that one of my strategies is like I build a board of people around me to amplify, to speak up for me, et cetera. And part of the way that I do that is I check on my neighbor, mira, get arro. Like I make sure that they're good. How's the week going? How do you need help in this area? Will this template help you? Would it help you if I connected you to this other person, right? Like I make those deposits before I start making the withdrawals and building those relationships. And I think that is something that I just like carry with me. And until this question you just asked me, like I didn't realize was like intrinsically the way that I operate. Yeah. Love that. I want to talk about what you do a little bit. What was the shift for you? Because you were doing speaking engagements, you were doing things while you were at these big companies, but what was the shift for you to be like a coach and a business owner? And like, what was that? Tell me about that pivotal moment in your life where you decided to become kind of on the other side and be a coach. Yeah, that's a. there are two things that influence that. Thank you for asking that question. I think the first push, there were two pushes. And the first push was experiencing like, textbook clinical executive burnout. I ended up in the ER with an IV in each arm from being the good boy, being the good team player, working late nights, working weekends, interrupting my vacation to answer the messages, trying to impress the bosses, impress the customers, etc. And it made me sick. And I had ended up having to go on medical leave. And in that moment, as I'm going through my recovery and just pensando en todo un poco, it's like, well, this isn't sustainable for me to like work at this pace. I need to figure out also ways of like diversifying my income, right? I grew up in poverty, but I'm not going down that way, right? Like, and so I have to think about like, I've reached a point in my career, I'm making this executive money. What does it mean to make money work for you? 
right? And how do you invest and how do you start to move in other directions? And one of the things that I came to terms with is like, I need to like build my own business, my own brand. I need to put my expertise on the shelf for sale for more than just one customer, right? Just more than my employer. So I started going down that path of like consulting on the side, part-time. And then I got to a point where I was unhappy. I was working at Uber at the time. This was pre-IPO. This was before all the headlines came out about the toxic culture there and everything. I was miserable and I walked away from that job. And having that side hustle allowed me to very quickly pivot into doing that full time. And so I did that until I found my next gig and I stepped into sales leadership at Tesla. I was recruited. And while I was at Tesla, Hurricane Maria destruyó todo en Puerto Rico. And I didn't hear from my family for almost two months after Hurricane Maria hit. I didn't know if they were alive. I didn't know if they were safe. I didn't sleep very well. Like it was the most terrible period. And I stepped away from working corporate to free up my time, to be available, to have the flexible hours, et cetera. And in that process, I made that pivot from working in sales to coaching how to sell and coaching leaders how to coach their teams and developing playbooks. And I started doing that until companies started tapping my shoulder to do that for them full time. And so I presently, by day, global director at a startup, I moonlight as a consultant and a coach. And I work with really thoughtful businesses that have business models that I respect and admire, that have an impact component, social justice component, right? I want to amplify that kind of work with the energy that I put into building myself up as well. And so, yeah, I, the business thing happened by accident, by necessity, and at the same time also completely confirmed my confidence and like entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship, like being able to build an entire department within a company. That is, first of all, amazing. And big shout out in like, big shout out to your work. The fact that you've been able to do so much with your career and now be able to spread that knowledge, right? And it's kind of like your mom, was it your mom or your abuelita? That was like, if someone no tiene arroz, de ofrecerlos. Like, it's really like, it's that concept of like, you're really giving back to these companies that you truly believe in. And you're coaching people how to do the same. Like, I think that's so beautiful. So shout out to you. It's intrinsically in you, right? I also want to ask, like, being in this space as a sales coach, as a business owner, how do you, and this is like a really specific question to what you do, how do you build Mm -hmm. and root diversity, inclusion, belonging, how do you include that in the sales culture? Because to me, yeah. this is my perception of sales, right? You tell me if I'm right or wrong. My perception of sales is all these frat brothers that come together and they start working in sales and they just start selling you. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's literally my entire perception. Or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. How do you root DNI, dibs, diversity inclusion? Like, how do you root that in a culture that looks stereotypically one way. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, 
it has to be like a layered and methodical approach. It's work and it's not easy. It's super messy. But I think the first thing is like, there has to be an appetite for change. There has to be a recognition amongst the leadership that whether you're down for the cause and you're down for inclusion and equity, or you're just a hard ass on numbers, right? You've got to make that business case. Like here are the numbers that you're missing out on by not giving this attention, right? Or like, here's the kind of culture that you're compromising by not giving this attention. So depending on who you're up against, you have either like an emotional or an intellectual appeal that you've got to make to get people on board with urgency around this. The next thing is you got to pay attention to who's coming in the door, right? We, you just described the culture that was very monotonous, mon, you know, everyone is homogenous, excuse me. Everyone is same profile, same personality, same thinking, right? Same outlook, right? That is usually attributed to uh, companies leading heavily on referrals as part of the way that they recruit people into the company. So it takes one frat brother to bring in another frat brother, and then all of a sudden it's three frat brothers, and all of a sudden it's six frat brothers, right? And that is how you start to perpetuate that situation. So I got leadership buy-in. Next, I need to talk to the talent team. Where are you sourcing? How are you incentivizing recruiting people that are underrepresented? But also, like, what relationships do you have? And I'll come in and I'll suggest organizations, nonprofits, et cetera, like the Posse Foundation, for example, that's committed to developing this pipeline of leadership to step in and do this kind of work, right? And mm -hmm. so tapping on the shoulders of other resources for sourcing talent, right? Then we got to look at, okay, the culture, once people set foot in the door, what is onboarding like? Are we giving you all the tools and everything to make sure that you have that fair point at the starting line at your career? Not behind, right? Right here with everyone else. Access to everything. Support where you need additional support. A tailored onboarding and coaching plan based on assessing you and figuring out exactly where it is that you need support, right? Then we've got to think about how do we sustain this culture beyond your onboarding? I got to work with leaders, right? I got to teach them how to create this safe space, how to develop their cultural intelligence. Because when we talk about leadership, we often talk about IQ, that intellectual capacity, EQ, emotional intelligence. But when we're talking DE and IB, you have also got to demonstrate cultural intelligence as a leader. To, to effectively create that space for everyone to be engaged and thrive. So we got to do work with the leaders to make sure that they're ready to sustain the culture. Then we've got to look at what is that day-to-day -day experience for the salesperson? I had an experience in my career where part of what I do is I we use these revenue intelligence tools that record people's calls. We're able to listen to the calls, look at transcripts, and, and be able to coach people up and say, hey, like, try it introducing the product this way or try answering that objection that way the next time, right? And in the process of doing that and coaching people up, I discovered a gentleman made a connect with a customer who was speaking Patois on the line. The gentleman, the rep, was one of these brothers that you referenced earlier, right? And so his reaction to not being, to, being able to fully understand the customer was to hang up on them. That is terrible experience for everyone, right? And so I had to step in and think about, okay, 
how do we coach through this moment? Because this person needed to be addressed for what they did. But then how do we then mm -hmm. amplify that? How do we coach other people to engage with customers and with who they may not understand or connect with right away to move past these blocks and develop that nuance uh, and that ear and that empathy, right? For engaging right. with customers that way. Inversely, I've also had experiences with reps who are women who have expressed these really terrible and unsafe engagements with customers that are irate, men who yell at them and disrespect them, right? Which brings me back to the experiences that I've had with people disrespecting me for being gay and asking to speak to my manager, et cetera, right? Mm. So we have to develop training around that. How do you, first of all, maintain your psychological safety? How do we engage your manager? What's the internal protocol for dealing with these things, right? Like that is the work that's required in tandem with the sales leaders and with the people team and HR team to, to get that those sort of resources and training and, and to get that lens in place around these day-to-day -day interactions that reps have and customers have. That's how you start to create and shift that culture in sales to be safer, to be inclusive, to create a sense of belonging. And so then increase sales, right? Which is what they want to hear. Right. It's the ROI. Bottom line. <laughs> right, right. If you're not down for the cause, you are going to be down for the money. So I'm going to rationalize with you one way or the other. The work is necessary. That part, Luis Predica. I need to ask, because you mentioned psychological safety and mm. moments where you've experienced that at risk, how do you protect your psychological safety? And what is psychological safety for those who may have not heard of that phrase before? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Thank you for slowing me down on that. Psychological safety is about that experience that you're having in that moment and, and making sure that you're not triggered or disrespected and diminished in any such way that you are, your experience and your capacity to have a productive conversation is compromised, right? If you're being disrespected, if you're being, if people are being aggressive towards you, microaggressive or you know, outright aggressive, right? Those are things that compromise how you feel about yourself, your willingness and excitement for doing the work that you do, right? Because if someone disrespects you or if you feel unsafe, you're not going to want to engage with this customer, even though you have the pressure to do so to fulfill your job, right? Being in that spot where that your professionalism is compromised and your safety is compromised, that's a no. I, in that same vein, one thing that you mentioned about your career is that you had these two moments create these pivots for you being in the hospital and like realizing like this is not sustainable or what happened in in Puerto Rico and you being like, I, I can't, I need to be available to my family and to their needs because that's what I got to do. Yeah. Do you feel like that was the moment you knew to walk away or did you feel like there were moments before that where you were like, mm, I don't know, I kind of want to walk away from this, but I'm going to just stay. And my question for that is in two prong is like, one, did you feel like you would have wanted to walk away before something like that happened? And two, when do you know it's the right moment to walk away so that folks that are listening don't have to go to the hospital, right? For, for them to realize like, I, I should walk away from the situation. 
I think that the moment is always going to be right now. Your happiness, your safety, your productivity, your creativity, your light, your shine has all the urgency, always, right? There's no reason to compromise. Like, look, we live in a world of options now, right? It used to be that like you would get a job and stay with the same company for 10 years. And now it's like people bop around every year and they got a TikTok on the side. And this and that. like everyone is out here, right? Doing what they have to do. And so I just want to like let people know you have options, right? You have options. It took a while for me to, it was always on my heart to start my own business. It took a while for me to recognize that I was capable of doing it, that I had everything I need in me to do it and do it to my level of success, my definition of success. Because everyone's going to be out here telling you 20 million, 30 million, 50 million in revenue. That's when you made it. My definition of success is mine and I am successful. Right. But it took a while to, to recognize. And I think being shooken up right and and having these experiences forced me to move down this path right i was forced to start try confront my fears go through the jitters mess it up look stupid like i went through it all right in the in the vein of like learning and putting myself out there i was never ready and i'm still not ready for what's next and for the levels that i want to reach right you're only ever going to be ready when you arrive. When you arrive, that's where you belong. And as you continue to pursue, ask for the answer, get the funding, get the answer, pull in the resources you need, the people you need. You're actively engaging in figuring it out along the way. And you have to trust your capacity, right? You have to trust that you can take care of you and that you have got it in you to be resilient and to ask the questions and to seek the answers. Point blank period. <laughs> I, first of all, Luis, estás aquí en la llamada and you are so you. Like, I just feel it. I feel like you are just like, you're not trying to be anybody else. Like you showed up on here and you're like, I'm. Th this is Luis. This is Luis <laughs> through and through. Yeah. How did you start like what shifted for you? Like the moment you started to show up as Luis fully in his glory, right? In every yeah. space, what, what shifted? Was it the numbers and sales? Was it the coaching capabilities? Was it just your own happiness? Like what shifted for you? And what was the like significance of you showing up as Luis? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think the real pivotal moment for me was while I was at Tesla. This is right before I stepped down, went off to do my own thing, the hurricane aftermath and all of that. I was just like really having a moment of the code switching, the filtering, the everything and feeling like I am so unhappy doing what I'm doing. And I look around, I see people like really fulfilled doing what they're doing. Right. And it's it, and, and it was all really centered around, again, the code switching and the filtering and all the things. And I just, I reached that boiling point when I recognized, like, it just doesn't matter how I show up. The people who are going to be aligned are aligned and the people who aren't, right? At the end of the day, I got to lean into my capacity to advocate for myself. And I got to point the fingers all at my numbers, period. Like, you hired me to do this job and it's being done. Look at these numbers, Right. 
but it's just i don't know if it was age wisdom conditioning apple on my head message received or whatever but it was a real moment of like no importa and this is like this is the theme throughout my entire life right like no importa como soy quien soy y la manera que yo me presente not everyone's going to pick up what i put down and at the end of the day not everybody should not everybody can afford me. Not everyone's on my level. Not everyone can rock with me. Not everyone is as gracious as I am, as loving as I am, as blessed as I am, right? They're not hanging out with beautiful people like I do. They're not speaking on podcasts like I do, right? And so why am I comparing myself? Why? Mm-hmm. Right? It took a while for me to embrace that I'm special, right? Because I tried so hard to fit in. I tried so hard to fit in with my community, to be Boricua, to not be so gay that I was completely othered, right? To be good enough, to be welcomed in the workplace. Like, at what point, at what point do we say enough is enough of that? And like, no matter what I did, you didn't like me, so aquí estoy. And if you want to rock with me, if you are all about vibing on good frequencies, embracing abundance, and embracing a really optimistic future, then let's rock. And if you're about anything else, then you can't sit with me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, Luis. I love that. And I have to ask, just on a separate homie note. Yeah. What's your sign? Oh, Arius. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yes. No wonder. No wonder. I'm a Leo. You might. Ooh, I love what it. Is it that- yes, yes. Fire signs all the way. Yeah, I'm in Aries. My moon is in Aquarius and rising in Virgo. So I'll let y'all digest that. I'm a rising. <laughs> I'm a Virgo rising too. Yes. And I'm a Scorpio moon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Watch we're just out. gonna we're just gonna move on from there. No, I love that you. I love. I just love asking about signs. But I think what I love most about what you said is that when does it become enough? And it's the moment where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. Like you really just choose to be you. And I remember, I'll never forget this conversation I had on the podcast. It was with Jennifer Gomez, who's a badass entrepreneur, Dominicana, the New York. And she said she had an authenticity crisis. She was Mm. like, therapist, like everyone's talking about authenticity and show up as yourself. And she's like, who am I? Like, who am I? And one thing that she said on the podcast that has literally resonated with me since that day, and I, I use it every day now, the therapist told her, like, Jenny, to be authentic is to just be. And those moments where I'm like, man, we try so hard to, like, fit in. Mm-hmm. And we're just not meant to fit in. Like, we're just not. And that's yeah. the beautiful part is that we don't fit in this master puzzle piece that wasn't created for us in the first place exactly (laughs) like we're not meant to fit into this box where we have all this flavor and all this experience and all this nuance and we have these superpowers as we were talking about earlier and what happens if we just start to embrace it a little bit and how much and one thing i appreciate from you is that you really are changing the game of sales but you've learned the game, the ugly parts of it too, over the years. And so you've seen it all, but like what, what power it is to just move 
the way you want to move. Luis and all his sazón. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so thankful. Thank you for saying that. And I appreciate that perspective because I keep building and I keep going. And uh, I think as I'm listening, I'm realizing like, yeah, I that that was always the objective and why I walked down this path because it was always about doing things a mi manera y haciendo lo que me da la gana. And yeah, I can presently say that's what's going down. Oh, thank you for that. Ooh, I, I walked away with something from this. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I want to ask you one last question. Yeah. Um, or maybe two last questions because we're not three. Make it three. Let's yet. go. <laughs> Five. <I'm just> yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to those who are listening in? We got a lot of people who listen in who work in tech and are navigating those spaces or yeah. people who are just trying to navigate the first and being the only, right? Yeah. How, what advice do you give to those people who are listening, who are just like, how did you do it? How did mm. you navigate being the only in mm. X industry and X space? Primero que nada, I want you to know it's possible. I think part of the, when we are up against anything, like it's always like this blind faith of like, can it happen? Is it possible? <laughs> and I want to say, yes, it is possible yeah. to have a fulfilling career on your terms. And for people who are listening to this and having that experience of like, being diminished, being othered, not being seen, heard, or understood completely in their workspace. Find your allies. That's, I think, the most important thing is you, before we get into like the tactics of like, let's block your calendar and let's talk about your communication strategy <laughs> and let's prepare your business case for your promotion, all these things. It's like, primero que nada, tú necesitas un primo, prima, somebody within the company just to like let your hair down and be like, mira, do, do you see this shit? Did you do? Am, am I crazy? You're not crazy. I, you need that validation. Primero que nada. So I would say, like, if you are feeling that way, perhaps your boss is diminishing you or whatever that might be, find allies, seek them out, right? Think about like anyone that you've engaged with who exhibits any sort of uh, kinship or any understanding who might have have some geographic proximity to where you grew up, maybe has some context for the way that you've lived, right? I think that's so important to find that and to find that validation within the experience that you're having. And then once you do that, audit. Oh my gosh, primero que nada, coge the job description. Y siéntate y míralo en detalle. Like you need to validate for yourself Primero que nada, find somebody to validate you ain't crazy. Second of all, validate for yourself that you're doing your job, right? Like look at the mm. job description, go down that list. Yup, I'm running these reports. Yup, I'm hitting these targets. Yup, I'm running that kind of program. Yup, I'm meeting this, right? And take that inventory and do that audit and validate for yourself. Like I am doing my part and what's asked of me and required of me, right? Mm. And then part of that audit, of course, is again, like, with your allies and with your numbers under your belt, right? Think about where it is that you're headed and get there fast. One of the things that I always thought in my career was like, I need to do this for a long time to prove myself to then get to this level, etc. <laughs> Ay, Dios mío. Tenemos Google, tenemos ChatGPT, we got LinkedIn Learning, we got all kinds of ways to consume the knowledge when we need it on demand, to process it, right? There are so many experts and ways of like moving through things that you don't need to have X many years of experience to advance. And so instead, focus on skills. Okay, if I want to be account executive, vice president, or whatever it might be, 
well, look at that job description and have a moment with like all the things that are on that description that you don't aren't currently capable of, whether it's like business analysis, program management, or whatever it might be, and invest your time there. Invest in getting that little certificate on your LinkedIn profile or whatever it is, because that's going to accelerate your progress a lot more to get you where you want to be. And no one's going to do that for you except you. And the people that you build around you are going to amplify your contributions. They're going to call out what you're doing, and they're going to help you along. Oof, Luis, you gave everyone a whole strategy. I love that. I love that for us. Snatch me breath and <laughs> That part. I want to switch gears a little bit and celebrate la cultura a little bit. Dale. Luis, tell me your favorite food, your slang word. Like, tell me your favorite things about being Boricua. Oh, my God. Primero que nada, me encanta el idioma. Like, the, the Puerto Rican dialect <laughs> for me is... The, the smoothest, the the most colorful, the sexiest, the funniest. I just, Esperate, I love like... Okay? Esperate. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Continue. I love it. I love when, when I connect with other Boricuas, especially if we don't know each other, and you just like overhear the sayings and the things. It's like so comforting immediately for me. Mm-hmm. A mí me encanta el dialecto. Me encanta la comida también. For me, my comfort food, like... I'm home, my my body and my soul are fulfilled. Un arroz con gandules, un pernil asado, tostones fritos on the side, un aguacate, a little nice little slice. Oh my God, that's my happy place. Just give me that plate and watch me eat and purr, right? That's for me. Yo sé cómo cocinar todas estas cosas. Let me tell you, because before I left for college, I, I like sat down with my mother. I was like, yo no va a pasar hambre. You're going to teach me how to make these things. Okay. <laughs> Yo te voy a comer, mami, okay? okay. I'm a growing boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, y mi, and that's mi pa- palabra like favorita del dialecto. I've, gosh, so many, but like brutal. The way that like Puerto Ricans use the word brutal, the emphasis and everything, it's just so us, and it just like immediately just comforts me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I know Boricuas are out there and doing amazing things. And I think we, I just actually had a conversation with someone from the island who talked about sometimes being like Harry Potter living under the staircase. Like (laughs) people forget that they're part of the U.S., but like not quite, but they have the Latino experience, but not quite. But there's so much beauty in the culture, but it's not appreciated. And then the U.S., takes advantage when they need military, when they need this, but y'all can't really vote or do anything else. Like it was just a perfect description of just like this whole island that is just for convenience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We are the oldest colony in the world. Let that sink in. It is 2023 when we're recording this and we are the oldest colony in the world. Como decimos los hondureños, puchica, which means, damn, it's our version of coño. Coño. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. I have one last question. Dale. I told you three. Yeah. I want to close this beautiful conversation, Luis. I wish I could talk to you forever because I feel like we, we would be like just Vibe. talking about everything at all times. You know what I mean? But like, uh, let's do a brindis and close this beautiful conversation okay. with a cheers. So, Luis, te quiero preguntar, 
What do you want to cheers to? Y que quieres manifestar, manifestar para nuestra comunidad latina? What do you want to manifest for our Latino community? I want to cheers to this moment, right? Let's just take a moment. El progreso, right? The experience that we're having drastically different than our abuelitos and abuelitas. Like, cheers to that. We've been we've been out here doing things, keeping them proud, and we don't do enough to celebrate those milestones. So I'm gonna say cheers to that. As far as mi deseo para nuestra comunidad. Gosh, I just want us to just stand in our excellence. I want us to stand in that gravitas. I want us to own our swagger, sazón, flavor, everything. Like, I just, I want us to shine and thrive in every space, politically, economically, right? I want to see more of us step into roles around being heroes, right? Like I think a lot of times where, you know, when you think about Latino, Latinx, Latina imagery, we're the helper, we're the help, we're the background, we're the sidekick. And we see examples of that shifting, but eso es lo que yo quiero. I want us front and center because we, we already run things and it's just time that that's recognized. Manifesting main character energy. I love yes. it. Love it. Salud. Gracias, Luis. Salud. Thank you for being here. You have made my Thank evening, you. Friday evening, just yes. amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. This has been amazing. Thank you for just creating a space for me to just be my whole self. And, and I hope that your audience listened today and they were inspired to do the same for themselves. Oh, they will, because I will. Like, I'm just smiling and I'm on a good vibe right now because of you. I'm feeling cute now. I'm yes. And I'm yes. feeling cute. <laughs> it's Friday. We out here. Gracias. <laughs> Y'all go do yourself a favor. Go connect with Luis on Instagram and LinkedIn. The links are in the show notes. And I will see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme for all Hello Latino updates because I know y'all want a little more sazón. Follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me on LinkedIn for more of that content. And check out my website, odalisjasmine.com for more information. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña. Abrazos.